welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. Good morning. It is so fun to be um, preaching and here with you guys. If you want to grab a Bible, I would recommend doing so and turn to Luke 10. Um, We've been going through the book of Luke over the last maybe month or so and looking at the person of Jesus. And I'm really excited to share with you this morning a pretty well-known passage in Luke. Um, And hopefully, maybe God will speak to us um, something fresh this morning. Luke 10, 38 through 41. Um, as it's known as the story of Martha and Mary. Um, So if you grab your Bible. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. How many of you guys have sisters? Yeah? Okay, I have two older sisters, so growing up I was the baby of the family and I was very concerned all the time about what my older sisters were doing. I would often get irritated if um, they got out of chores or responsibilities and let me tell you, I would let my mom know. I see myself in this story as I would complain to my mom, but what about her? Tell her to help me. Why hasn't she taken out the trash? I did the dishes already this week. And my mom would reply, as maybe yours did too, stop worrying about her and do what you're told. Okay. If you don't have sisters, maybe a helpful picture of sisterhood would be in this wonderful novel and now movie. Well, it wasn't, you get me, Little Women. Yeah? Any fans? Sisterhood is literally insane because it's this weird mix of growing up and living with your best friends, yet your enemies. And you fight and you encourage each other and you love and you forgive, but you do often become way more concerned with what they are doing or how they are living their life than you should. And I've read this passage in Luke so many times. I've heard it preached many times. And every time I've pictured Martha to have like the same attitude as 10-year-old, 15-year-old me, um, kind of asking, why isn't Mary helping? What about her? And I've often wondered, why is Martha so busy? Jesus is there. Shouldn't she be with him? And when this passage is read, I think many of us envision sweet, sweet, sweet Mary just sitting at the feet of Jesus in complete devotion and worship, Meanwhile, you have this other sister, Martha. She's a busybody, type A, Enneagram 1, who just wants to get (laughs) stuff done. And she doesn't understand why the heck her sister, Mary, isn't helping her. Why has Mary left me to do all the work? So 
in this scripture, she interrupts Jesus while he's teaching to demand Jesus to do something about this injustice. But today, I would like us to take a step back and consider, could something else be happening here? Could something else besides this burdensome workload be upsetting Martha? I think Martha has a lot to do, and I would want my sister to help me too. But something else could have been upsetting her. And in order to figure out what's happening here, we can't look at the story through our modern context. Um, we have to ask what, um, what were the appropriate roles, what would be happening in Jesus' time. And maybe, um, like me, we'll see some details today that normally we would skip right over. Um, but they're really important to understand the cultural context of what's happening. And so as I studied this passage uh, over the last couple weeks, the first thing I saw in reading commentaries and looking up Jewish culture in Jesus' time, um, the first thing I saw was that the home is a divided space. In that culture, like many parts of the world today, there were appropriate rooms and boundaries that women were in, that men were in, and very few spaces that men and women would mingle together. The kitchen and private areas of the home were designed as female spaces, and the only areas that were appropriate for men and women to be together were outside where the children played or inside the married bedroom. And there are other areas and rooms of the home that men would be allowed in, like the public room that Jesus is most likely teaching in. And this would not be a place for women to be but we read that Mary is sitting there too. N.T. Wright puts it this way in his commentary on the book of Luke. For a woman to settle down comfortably among the men was bordering on the scandalous. Who did she think she was? Only a shameless woman would have behaved in such a way. She should go back into the woman's quarters where she belonged. This wasn't principally a matter of superiority and inferiority, though no doubt it was often perceived and articulated like that, it was a matter of what was thought of, of as the appropriate division between the two halves of humanity. Mary's not performing her social duty or her social expectation of her or of what a woman should be doing. Instead, she's in the room with the men. She should have been in... Um, the kitchen, or working elsewhere. Now, with a big deep breath, there is nothing wrong with serving and working in the kitchen. Amen? Amen. Okay. Those are actually two of my favorite things. I love to serve people, and I love to cook and host. So this is not the point that Jesus is making. But it is interesting that we read that not only is Mary in the same space as the men in the home, She was sitting at the Lord's feet. Or other translations say, sitting at the feet of Jesus. And again, if you're like me, when you hear this phrase, sitting at the Lord's feet or sitting at the feet of Jesus, I have a picture I found. Um, We often think something like this, right? She marries in this like adoring, like worship. She's fully devoted, um, gazing up at like an idol or a celebrity, It's kind of what we picture um, when we think about sitting at someone's feet. But sitting at someone's feet, more specifically sitting at the feet of a teacher, was typically the role of a man. 
and was rabbi discipleship language. So when anywhere in the text where it says that the disciples were sitting at the feet of Jesus, Jesus is teaching, and the disciples, other than lounging um, comfortably around a table, were sitting at the position of a student, where they're sitting on the floor at the feet of their teacher. This was typically the role of a man. And we read in Acts 22 that Paul um, was educated at the feet of Gamaliel, I cannot pronounce his name, I'm so sorry, Gamaliel, who was an authority in the Sanhedrin in the early first century. So if you look at any context that sitting at the feet of, um, it's not this adoring devotion posture, although she was worshiping Jesus, but why she was sitting there was to be taught by him, to be discipled by him. She was sitting at this, uh, in the space of a disciple. And when you sat at the feet of your rabbi, you weren't just learning for learning's sake. You were learning with the hope of becoming like your rabbi. Um, we talk about this in our discipleship to Jesus, that it can be summarized as be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the things Jesus did. That was the role of a disciple. And what we see as when Jesus' disciples were sitting under his teaching, it was all with the, the hope and expectation um, that they too would go and make disciples, that they too would um, share the gospel and bring forth God's kingdom. It wasn't learning just for a certificate or a degree. Mary sat at Jesus' feet with what I believe to be the potential call to go and share his message with others. So what if Martha's not just upset because of this workload, but because her sister Mary was behaving as if she were a man? This is probably upsetting and distracting. She's worried about the work needed to be done. She's worried about her. She's worried about her sister's reputation. She's worried about um, the social implications that could come if people knew. She's totally unsure of what's happening. In fact, the word used to describe Martha's distraction implies that she too probably tried to sit at Jesus' feet or at least was welcomed to by him. I imagine Martha and Mary kind of sitting amongst the men, um, listening to Jesus, and Martha kind of nudges her sister Mary. Okay, that's enough. Let's go. We got work to do. We got lunch to be made. Um, We're not supposed to be here. But Mary, she was where she needed to be. For what could be for her the first time, Jesus, a rabbi, is not just willing to teach her, but welcomes her, invites her. Her heart, her mind are not divided like her sister Martha's. She's where she needs to be at that moment, and she doesn't let cultural expectations keep her from Jesus and what he's calling her to. Martha's aware that her sister is breaking these social structures and norms, so she confronts Jesus, well, she demands Jesus to do something about this. But Jesus, he's so kind. He sees Mary's heart. He knows her intention is not to leave her sister with so much work to do. She wasn't being a brat about it. She just desperately wanted time with her rabbi. 
And her heart was not divided between what was expected of her by her sister and society, but instead she was more concerned with what Jesus was offering her. And then Jesus does something so radical when Martha confronts him. Jesus affirms uh, Mary's position as a disciple. As a disciple, um, he affirms Mary's position as a disciple while also affirming Mary's role of service. Martha insists Jesus do something, and yet Jesus replies, which is like so sweet, Martha, Martha. Now, before we get all upset with Martha, a few things that I learned about her um, that I think is helpful as we continue in the text. It's good to know that the previous, um, it's always important when we're reading scripture to see what happened before and what hap- what's happening next. And in Luke 10, right before this story of this encounter between Martha and Mary and Jesus, is the story of the Good Samaritan. Have anyone familiar with that story? About hospitality and welcoming strangers, even if it crosses um, cultural norms and expectations. And so we see Martha, immediately after Jesus tells this parable of what it means to welcome strangers in and extend hospitality, Martha welcomes Jesus and his disciples as they were passing through. He, um, she welcomes them into her home, um, which is also radical. And um, in other places of scripture, when we read about Martha and Mary, we'll read about their brother, Lazarus. Um, but in this um, in- encounter in Luke, Lazarus isn't mentioned. Now, some people think, sure, it was maybe Lazarus's home, but he wasn't there. But the text says Martha welcomed Jesus into her home which would have been like outrageous for any woman to do, to welcome a man and his disciples into her home and extend hospitality in that way. That was outside of her societal role. But after making this remarkably bold move of inviting Jesus and his disciples in, she goes right back to what society would expect of her. And she runs off to do the dishes and prepare lunch which wouldn't be so bad, except as the result of this stress, she then focuses that stress on her sister. Really what she's saying to Jesus is, look at that woman not doing what she's supposed to be doing. For Mary, instead of attending to the chores, which would have been her obligation, she stepped outside of her role just like her sister did right before and has gone off with the men to listen to the master's teaching. Martha, instead of nurturing this free-spirited side of her sister, lets her stress turn to anger. Sweet Martha. I get this because I can get so caught up in what I'm doing and what's expected of me and think that this is what everyone else should be worried about too. As Darren pointed out, I work with youth. I love teenagers. It's weird, middle schoolers especially. Um, but gosh, like I can get so like God has called me to disciple teens. I am confident of that. Um, but then when I see other people not getting it, I can often be like, why aren't they discipling teens too? Everyone should serve in youth. Like youth is the best. And we play dodgeball and there's donuts and we go to camp and I can just get so caught in like what God has called me to do and think that he's calling everyone else to the same thing. And he's not. And in the same way, Martha was doing an act of worship to Jesus. She was. 
She gets such a bad rep where we're like, she didn't want to sit at Jesus's feet. She'd rather do the dishes. Well, no, like at first, her act of worship, her act of service was preparing the meal. She was doing that wholeheartedly for Jesus, for his disciples. But then this act of worship became a burden. And in that like burden and anger and stress and frustration, she started comparing herself to what her sister was being called to do. And her sister was being called to be a disciple, to go and um, preach the gospel, to go and um, be like her rabbi. Her service of getting lunch and getting all the things ready was needed. I think that if Jesus came in, like without, yeah, Jesus is wonderful, so hear me out. But I feel like he might have gone a little upset if lunch wasn't ready, you know? Like, they were expecting, like, great hospitality. And so if Jesus and his disciples come in for hospitality, like, he probably wanted lunch. Um, he does eat a lot. And um, <laughs> we, ha- we all love a good lunch, right? And so it's not the fact that she was making lunch or serving, but it was her heart. She was anxious. She was concerned about her sister. She wasn't focused on her gifts and her strengths and her abilities, but rather she was focused on Mary. She was worried about Mary's reputation. She was worried about Mary not meeting um, expectations. Jesus says she's worried about too many things, but only one thing is needed. Jesus says Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken from her. But I think it's important because there's probably a lot of people in this room who love to serve and love to cook and have the gift of hospitality. The the point of this story isn't about Martha's serving and Mary's lack of serving or Mary's listening and Martha's lack of listening. It's about the boundary-breaking call of Jesus and how people respond personally to that. And the better thing here that Jesus is referring to when he says, Mary has chosen the better thing. It's not that sitting listening was the better thing, but the better thing here is Jesus. Jesus is the one thing. And whether you are serving coffee or loving your kids or you're in class or you're at work or you're driving on the freeway, are you focused on the one thing? It seems at first like Martha is focused and then she gets distracted, right? And so whether it's serving or teaching or leading or any other act of discipleship, the call is to focus on Jesus and what he's calling you into. That is your one thing. We don't need to worry ourselves with what Jesus is calling our brothers and sisters to. We can focus fully on Jesus and what he's asking of you, what he's asking of me. I love in Hebrews 12 too, um, it writes, let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. And so a question I have for us, for me as well, is are you focused on the one thing? Have you gotten worried and distracted by the people around you that might have like more spiritual gifts than you or are, their ministry looks different or their parenting looks different than yours? Instead, focus on Jesus and the things that he is asking of you. And Jesus says that is the better thing, the one thing. As you focus on Jesus, are you willing to be like Mary and push through others' expectations of you to remain focused on him, not to be distracted by all the things, 
and be willing to move at a different pace if Jesus asks you to. Now, it's also worth pointing out that this story would not be the same story if this was about two brothers, okay? If this was Andrew and Peter hanging out fishing, and you got Andrew doing all the fishing, catching all the fish, getting lunch ready, and sweet Peter is sitting on the shore memorizing the Torah, right? And then Andrew's like, Jesus, my brother's not helping me. Um, Jesus might have just said, like, get over it. Like, you know, like, I don't know. But the thing is, is this was intentionally about the roles of women. It's not necessarily about um, not helping someone or the serving or that, um, that serving is less than um, sitting under Jesus' feet. If this was Andrew and Peter out fishing, it would be a different story. It's intentional that Luke, who has the most mentions of women in all the Gospels, includes this story of Jesus' interactions with women. Their gender's not hidden. It actually is the point. In a culture and society where the only role for women was Martha's role, Jesus is making space for women like Mary. And Jesus is asking of those who love to serve, to serve, and to serve him wholeheartedly, free from distraction of what your brothers and sisters are being called to. And Jesus, throughout his entire ministry, is leading, teaching, and empowering women. He's the word at the beginning. When God designed men and women in his image to represent who he is to the world, Jesus was there. He was there. He knows life before sin. And Jesus gives us the ministry of reconciliation where we can see all things restored to God's original design, men and women as equals in perfect loving relationship with God and with others. Now, we can't base our view of women on the fall and the results of sin. As Don Williams, a pastor, theologian, and spiritual mentor to Darren and many others on our staff, he puts it this way in his article on women in leadership. If we order our ministry based upon Genesis 3.16, your, the woman, desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you, we are ordering our life based upon judgment rather than redemption. We are ordering our life based on the law rather than the gospel. We are ordering our life based on the consequences of the fall rather than the new creation brought to us in Jesus. Remember the gifts and callings of God are never given according to gender. Men don't get teaching gifts because they are men and women don't get serving gifts because they are women. The Spirit gifts whomever and however he wills, and the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. We do not give the gifts, we receive the gifts, welcome the gifts, and bless them in ministry. All Don Williams, it's great. But it's so true, like Jesus knows and sees the effects of sin, the consequences of sin, but his mission is to bring life, life as it was intended to be. And so when Jesus walked the earth, um, part of the consequences of sin is that women had very, very little roles and value in society. 
very limited. Roles of women in Jesus' time, women could not be disciples of any rabbi. They certainly were not able to travel with any rabbi. They were not required to attend any religious festivals or feasts, but the men were. They didn't play a significant role in the synagogue because they were considered Levitically unclean during their menstrual cycle. Bet you didn't see a menstrual cycle coming today at church. Um, (laughs) Women really only had rights in the home, and even that was limited to the private spaces, and women were not able to be witnesses in court because their testimonies were not valid. But again, we read in Genesis 1 that male and female, God created them in his image. And this is incredible news because it means that we need both men and women to accurately reflect who God is to the world, not just one or the other. And we've done an okay job. My notes say great, but I'm changing it to okay (laughs) job for making space for the Marthas. And like, praise the Lord, because that's incredible. And like I said, I myself, I love serving and hospitality and have been so blessed by men and women who have those gifts. We've made an okay job for the Marthas, but have we limited the role of women to just serving and helping in hospitality? And then somehow within that, which is why I say we do an okay job of this, is we make the women who are busy serving feel guilty for their work instead of seeing it as an act of worship and a response to the call that Jesus has on their life. And so grab your Bible, because if you zoom out and flip through the book of Luke, you see Jesus breaking down these social barriers that we have put up, and he includes women over and over and over and over again in his ministry. The Gospel of Luke shows us women from a wide range of social standings, and and often Luke will contrast Jesus' interaction with with a male, with a man, to that of a woman's, and use a woman as an example for discipleship to Jesus. He frequently disregarded cultural norms to help the marginalized, the sinner, the outcast, the immigrant, the leper, the tax collector, the women. And in many cases, that meant doing the unthinkable thing as a Jewish rabbi. He treated women like people, created in the image of God and profoundly loved. And so you look through Luke, and Luke 1 begins with the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah, this priest who should have known it was God speaking to him and instead questions it, but his wife, full of faith, says, this is the Lord. This is God speaking to us. And then in Luke 2, we're introduced to Mary, the mother of our Savior. And in the first two chapters alone, we see God partnering with two women to bring his presence into the world. And if you want, side note, literally the story of Zechariah and, sorry, Elizabeth and Mary is so beautiful. And sisters, (laughs) it is a picture for us of how we should encourage and um, support one another in our callings and not be jealous and not, like here comes Mary, right, pregnant with Jesus and Elizabeth just welcomes her in. It says they were both filled with the Holy Spirit and there wasn't confrontation, there wasn't, who do you think you are, like the mother of the Savior? Like imagine if your best friend like came to you and you know had this big call, like how would you respond to her? You know, is it, I see God in you, I, I see Jesus in you? Or is it, uh, you think you could do that? Read this interaction between Mary and Elizabeth. It's beautiful. 
In Luke 7, um, I think we talked about this a few weeks ago, Jesus is anointed by a sinful woman who pours perfume at his feet. And as she does that, that quite frankly was a priestly act of devotion where you were anointing someone with perfume or oil was the job of a priest. Luke 8, women were funding Jesus' mission and ministry. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others, these women were helping to support them out of their own means. In Luke 9, one more chapter over, he raises a dead girl. He's on his way to Jairus' house to heal his daughter. And I love this. Jesus is interrupted by a needy woman, and he stops and listens to her and heals her and gives her value and dignity and worth in front of men and women there. So, I, yeah, it's great. Jesus is amazing. Luke 10, where the story we just read, he's at the home of Martha and Mary where he taught women. In Luke 13, he heals a crippled woman. In Luke 15, it's a woman with a lost coin. And then Luke 18, the persistent widow, where he's using women as examples in his illustrations that he was teaching to religious men. In Luke 21, we see the widow offering all she has to Jesus in the offering. And of course, in Luke 23 and 24, it was women who were with Jesus at the cross when many disciples left. And it was women who were the first to the tomb. And in gospel accounts, it's to women where Jesus first says, go and tell. And in Acts, we read that women too were present in the upper room when the Holy Spirit fell. Jesus was not one to show partiality to men. Many women followed Jesus, and much of Jesus' ministry was in direct relationship with women. Women followed him from town to town. Just imagine with me what Jesus must have been like for all these women who were told that they didn't have value, didn't have significance, didn't have worth, for them to leave everything and follow this man. I imagine Jesus must have been so patient as as many of the women weren't educated, couldn't read, and the way that he would probably slow down and explain things to to them. He didn't mansplain. (laughs) I imagine Jesus having a gentle tone. I imagine Jesus being a good listener, because let's be honest, us women, we like to talk. And he spent time with them and listened to them. Just imagine. And as we look at the societal roles that were expected of women or limited women, you can flip through Luke and see Jesus literally breaking down all of them. He allowed women to be rabbis. Yeah, yeah, rabbis and disciples. They could travel. Um, He, they, he, used their witness, their stories, right, in the Gospels. Um, So everything that society would have said no to um, in regards to women, Jesus redrew the boundaries. Where culture said women couldn't be disciples, Jesus discipled them. Where culture didn't allow women to travel, Jesus let them follow. Where culture said women were not able to be witnesses, Jesus commissioned women to go and tell about the resurrection. The gospel, it's a clear message for all people. 
And Jesus is reworking religious boundaries that we have put up within the church. And so to close, today I hope we're reminded of that, that Jesus is for everyone. The invitation to discipleship, which includes to do the things of Jesus did, empowered by the Holy Spirit, fueled by spiritual gifts, is available to all. Doesn't matter your age, your gender, your race, ethnicity, socioeconomic status. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. There is, um, there is not male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. It's Galatians 3:28. Jesus has broken down all barriers so that anyone can follow him and be a disciple. And he wasn't just for the marginalized. He was actively working to restore all things. Actively breaking down the systems and the barriers that we set up to say who's in and who's out. And so a thought for us is, are we actively partnering with God to see all things renewed back to Genesis 1? And the invitation we see in Luke 10 from these beautiful women, Martha and Mary, is to follow Jesus free from the expectations of others, to follow Jesus and not limit our discipleship to him um, by comparing ourselves to others. We can't make people feel more spiritual based on what kind of gifts they are given. And I do believe that for our our church today, there's a way that God, through his grace and love and kindness, that he can release us from following the expectations that culture, our parents, our families, society has put on us so that we can follow Jesus. Um, And lastly, I think there is this... um, beautiful gift of not comparing our roles and giftings to others, but only being concerned about one thing, Jesus. And as we do that, we will become more fully ourselves and be able to fully love others better. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.